0: Let's go. Let's go! Come on, everybody. and
1: Let's get to pumping, because it's really a blaze of time. Baby, Rip the City's jumping now. Okay, Randall up the middle. Hit! Oh, hey, oh. right. backboard!
0: Come on, everybody. All right, everybody. Welcome to the 251st edition of the Holy Backboard Podcast. I am Dustin here
1: in Rip City, and I got my man. Sage here. Emergency podcast. Emergency Top Shot pack. I'm very, I'm very active on the basketball spheres today. I already got my Top Shot pack. Did you? Yes. You had a good Q number. Me, I have to grind through all of the bullshit. So congratulations on your pack. Have you opened said pack yet, or are you saving it, saving it for later? No, I, I, so I get it. I open
0: it. That, that's the, that's the routine. Right off, right off the rip, I got a Sammy. Sammy Whitcomb's step back, which was nice, although I did see the Liberty logo and thought it was Sabrina for a second. So the excitement and disappointment. Small, small disappointment. It's a six, it's a six step back. So I'll take it. And then they got two Tina Charles three pointers. Any good cereals or they're deece, but um, she's a, an Olympian. So at the very least, I'll sell one of them and pick up somebody, somebody else, or just hold on to them. Like they're both the, they both have the first badge. They're both serialed to I think 11,250, which is great that they're limited. They're not overexposing them. Like they did the other NBA moments, making them up to 40,000, which completely oversaturated the market. So I'm hopeful that these could, you know, these are the very first WNBA moments as an NFT. That's something to. It's a low risk, high reward. You know, you pay nine dollars for something that could be worthwhile, and uh, I'm pretty excited that they've expanded to the WNBA. It's basketball all year round. Some some great plays, great finishes, and you know, you can't really be doing a bunch of drops of the NBA during the offseason. Like the interest isn't isn't really there. So I think it's really smart that they worked with the WNBA and. You know, if you're really going to be jointed with the NBA, your, your league is literally WNBA. It makes sense that they continue to collaborate with one another where applicable to continue to promote both leagues. I mean, you already see it with players from both leagues watching other games. We saw it at the Olympics. Uh, we see it. We saw it during uh, the Vegas, the, the pre-trials like it happens or support both ways. And now I think the next step is to get the casual NBA fan over to the to the wmba game and i think that's just a nice step because while they're different games they're both entertaining to watch in their own manner so uh, i really am appreciative of that and i'm excited to continue you know kind of brought my interest back in top shot a little bit i was getting a little uh
1: stale and now it's like okay there's something new something different let's let's see what this is about i mean when two hundred thousand people are trying to get a WNBA nft you know, the interest wouldn't be there even five years ago where 200,000 individuals are trying to get a WNBA branded product. So it's really awesome for people to show interest in this form of basketball that is absolutely entertaining. It's just, man, I want my pack now and I have to wait for 8,000 people to make their purchases. But when I got placed at 60K, I was like, oh, no way I'm getting it. And now I'm safely going to get it. So I guess Top Shot people, there has been that drop recently, so people forget how it's done. But got to show patience when it's time to open some packs. Last thing about Top Shot. Low-key, there's been a little bit of a rise in Top Shot uh, activity. So been buying and selling like it was March, bro. So I, I definitely am liking the forward momentum of this this thing that we spend some time doing. So. And what do they say on Field of Dreams? You build it, and they will come. You make it available. Like, you
0: make these games available on national television, people will watch. You make merch available, people will buy. So it's great to see that taking place. And, you know, we woke up to some news today from, from Woj, and I originally just got the first notification that Chicago had traded Lowry Market to the Cavaliers. And I was like, okay, sign and trade. What did those two teams give up? for one another. And then you get the second one where Portland was involved. They gave up Derek Jones Jr. And a 2022 first round pick. It's lottery protected, but it's probably going to be conveyed next season. And Derek Jones, I mean, this is probably the last major move of the off season for Portland. They have one more roster spot to fill, but DJ's contract at around $10 million was it. I mean, that's really all Portland realistically has to offer. Now you see the team where they are currently at. How did you feel about this trade? I'm a little conflicted. I think it in a vacuum works well, but when you look at the team holistically, uh, I'm not so certain that it that it works. What, what do you think? You've watched more Cleveland Cavaliers basketball than I have.
1: I think that Larry Nance Jr. is a really good player. I think people don't value him that high because he's on the Cavaliers and they suck, but when he's there, you see the high processing speed, the athleticism that we surely need, that basketball IQ is which is going to be really valuable. As I woke up, I'm like, I'm hyped for this. I like Larry Nance Jr. He's I have a top no, 68 uh, serial on, on on top shot of him. I'm a fan of his game. I think there's some negatives about the the uh, the transition that we will get to, but I'm pretty hyped about the uh, the uh, trade. I think that Larry Nance can do something to. He's not going to get taken out of the playoff rotation. We know Derek Jones Jr. will would have getting taken out during a uh, high leverage spot. I think Larry Nance a high leverage spot, so I'm all about it.
0: I think there are pros and cons to this trade. I think that the first pro, and if you follow John Schumann, he's an advanced stats writer for NBA.com. Portland now has two really elite players. In the passing lanes last year robert covington had 4.1 and larry nance had 3.9 deflections per 36 minutes that ranked respectively sixth and ninth in the entire league so they now have two players who can play that free safety position in the passing lanes get out and turn defense into offense however by giving up another first round pick Portland really can't trade another first round pick for the foreseeable future. And they still are missing a few key ingredients that makes a championship level team where they're still missing a point of attack defender. We're still undersized across the board. And even in that finishing five, it's still going to feature a small three guard lineup. So that's why I say in a vacuum, I think it's a great trade value because I think if things go wrong, you can still flip Larry Nance for a first round pick. But unfortunately, it feels like all of these moves are made within a vacuum. And you look at, you don't look at the sum of the parts. And I think that's what made a team like the Phoenix Suns so exceptional last year is their pieces fit and complemented one another. So while just by itself isolated, I think it's a solid move. When you look at the team as a whole, Portland's still undersized. Only two players in the two deep are over 6'7" they're still unbalanced. Again, we don't have a backup one and we don't really have a true power forward. And I don't know how everyone is going to complement one another. So it's definitely, I think a little
1: cautious is how I would approach this move. I think Larry Nance is one of those players that is like a glue guy, like a Robert Covington, where you just put him in and he's going to find a way to fit within the offense and the defense, Robert and uh, Larry Nance are going to be a really fun defensive combo. And I'm just, I'm just excited that it's like a, a, a playoff rotation player because, you know, the last, the last potential move that we could make getting somebody who is smart and can play in a playoff situation. I'll take that over some of the guys that we've ran out in the last few years in playoff rotation.
0: And I think that the biggest holdup for me was that inclusion of of the first round pick. You look yeah, at the second as well, or is it? As so as they well. got a second from uh Chicago. Through in a second.
1: So does the pick go to Chicago or Cleveland? Cleveland.
0: So, so Cleveland, Chicago and
1: Portland just no. Started. Chicago Chicago gets the pick. Chicago gets the pick. So Chicago finally gets a first round pick in the next few years. <laughs> Exactly, and you look at Portland,
0: they now have no first-round picks in a three-year span. They gave up two first-round picks for Robert Covington in 2020 and 2021. This one will likely convey in 2022. I looked through the history of the Blazers, their draft history. There's been only one other instance in three consecutive drafts where they did not have a first-round pick. Surely enough, it was recently, 2014, 2015, and 2016. So 2014 predated Neil Olshay. That was part of the Gerald Wallace trade, where we sent Dante Cunningham and Joel Persbilla for Gerald Wallace. And it, looking at that, it not a really great, dame, didn't it? It netted his Dame, so that's the redeeming quality. But had it not, that would have been a horrific trade. So thankfully, Chad Buchanan was there to fleece Billy Keane. Uh, otherwise, that that is a, a disastrous trade. 2015 was a little bit better. We drafted Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, but traded him on draft night for Mason Plumlee, who was a solid starter for the Blazers. And then 2016 was a part of that disastrous Aaron Aflalo trade, where we gave up not only a potential starting small forward in Will Barton, but that 2016 first as well. And so under Neil Olshe's tenure, and I'll count 2021-2022, because we have you know we're basically starting that season now, That's 11 seasons. Portland has not had a first-round pick in six of those seasons. So it's very difficult to build a team in the salary cap era without any first-round picks. And if I were to ask you, Sage, throw contracts aside, who are Portland's best two
1: players? Damon, CJ. How are they acquired? Drafting them. The draft. I think he's a good drafter. He just... That's what
0: what is so mind-blowing about this, his tenure, is that is Neil O'Shea's strongest suit, is drafting players. Specifically, you know, even getting those second-round picks. Yet he's consistently just given away draft picks for non-all-star caliber players. So that's how you build a team, especially in a small market, because we know it's difficult to get free agents. And again, I'm not saying this specific trade was bad, like in a vacuum, good. But when you put it all together and you start to look at the ten year of how we got here into this position, like, oh, th- this is how. Like, you can't be trading two first-round picks for non-all-stars. Like, you look at the Milwaukee Bucks. They gave up three picks and pick swaps and got a first-team all-defender, in my opinion, the best defensive player in the league in Drew Holiday, Portland could have put together a asset package like that with the three first round picks they gave up for Nance and Covington plus swaps and went out and got a true difference maker next to Damian Lillard. So again, it just still feels like Olshay trying to bite around the edges rather than just dive right in.
1: That's been a thing for him for his entire tenure with the Blazers is he's half-stepping he doesn't want to just dive fully into one thing. He wants to have both. He wants his cake and eat it too. When it's kind of proven that that isn't the right strategy. You have to pick one and go with it. He has not been decisive with what he wants to do. This is kind of reminding me of the Dell Demps era in new Orleans, where they're trading everything for young, young vets, And then all of those young vets are gone, gone through this whole young vets trading picks for young vets. And it it, it hasn't worked yet. And I don't think it's going to work this time. Team building is really important to get low cost, good players that can develop into something. Of course, there's the the, the potholes in that as well. But he's shown the ability to draft well. So I think that that idea is better than trading for young vets and then we're going to have to pay those young vets eventually. So, or older vets with Robert Covington. So I don't know if this strategy is that prudent. I think that if we were going to do team building, it should be through the draft and finding market inefficiencies and a free agency, but we're not, we're, uh, we're trading all these young valuable picks and uh, for, for vets it's weird though. Like, You see teams like Oklahoma City and New Orleans and Atlanta trading all these picks because they have so many. And when we're just so depleted in first-round talent, it's like, man, look at Atlanta trading two first-round picks to move up five spots. They overpaid. But when you have so many picks, you can't overpay. We have to be really good and decisive with our first-round picks. And Larry Nance is good, but maybe having a $4 million player that's under the contract for 4 years might be a little bit more valuable than uh competing with Larry Nance but we've kind of made that decision of young vets
0: and it's also difficult when you are trying to acquire that all-star you don't really have any any gas left in the tank
1: yeah who who what's more valuable five first round picks Larry or Larry Nance Robert Covington and CJ McCollum The the mystery of the first round picks is going to have more value value than older players that you know what they are. They aren't going to change what they are, or if they do change, it's really minimal. You know,
0: we, we had, you know, like you said, what's more valuable, you know, what we have now, or maybe Gary Trent, Jr. Sadiq Bay, who we could have drafted with the first round pick we had last year, Uh, whoever we drafted this year, like, those are young talent. Like whenever a team is giving up an all-star, most of the time that's a disgruntled player, and they're hitting that reset button. There's not a lot of value for for a team to acquire a, an expiring Covington, an expiring Nurkic, 19 plus million dollars left on a thirty year old CJ McCollum's contract. Like that, that's only in fantasy land. That's only in two K where you can get away with those type of trades. So Portland and Neil O'Shea in particular has went all in on this roster is good. I've gotten you more defense. This is how it's going to have to be. We're either going to win or we are going to basically, you know, sinking the ship. Um, So Sage, we've talked about our thoughts on the trade, whether it was worth it or it was not, and how it impacts the team. But as someone who has watched Nance play, what does he do well how will he fit in, and where does he struggle?
1: He fit. He he's a really, really smart uh, basketball player. I think he'll do a lot of work in the horns formation in that second unit. He's he, he's bouncy. He can get rebounds. He's a really good dunker. Um, he's improved his three point shot from absolutely atrocious to below average. I don't see him being a dead eye shooter, but he can shoot. But I think mostly it's going to be defensive and IQ from Larry Nance. I think that I think he's going to be our super sixth man. You know, in the finishing five, you can't really have use of being our center for everything with some teams being small ball. So I thought that role was going to be for Nasir to be the the power wing. I think that now Larry Nance is going to be the power wing in those against the 10 teams that have a small team where it's Larry Nance at four and Robert at five instead of uh Uh, Nasir so that I think that's a big issue with me of getting Larry Nance but I really do like the player and I love how how smart he is like in being the son of a pro basketball player you're going to know IQ stuff in the league so having that's going to be extremely extremely valuable you were talking about
0: Nance struggling to play with Yusuf Nurkic can you elaborate on that you can't have two
1: bad three-point shooters or two below three-point shooters so I don't think that those two are going to play that many minutes together because I think that they also are they can't shoot as well. And I think in their roles, they do the exact same thing. And as a, you can't have two big men that do the exact same thing. You need some more diversity in your, uh, your lineup. So I, I don't see that many minutes of those two playing together unless there's injuries that force it to happen. So we
0: know he plays well off the ball defensively. How is he on ball? Is at 6'7", he is going to be undersized with really every front court matchup that he is going up against. We saw Robert Covington really struggle this season trying to defend the likes of LeBron, Giannis. I know everyone does. Everybody has
1: that problem. but...
0: (laughs) But, But for a team that gave up two first round picks that was hoping Robert Covington would enhance the defense didn't really see a lot of impact from Robert knowing they play a similar style defensively is Nance going to be able to hold his own on an Island where you kind of have to do that in today's NBA when every other player on the roster can, can spread the floor. And if you double, you're giving up a a three point shot to now 40% shooter. So how does he play one-on-one on an Island?
1: Hmm. I think he's more of a team guy, but I think that he can play defense. You know, the if he's going to be the backup four and sometimes five, I don't really see him getting bodied by any backups. The traditional four is such a rare commodity now. So it's more like players like Robert Covington and Larry Nance Jr. that are going to be that four in most high leverage spots. So I, I don't have any fear of them giving up pressure against like-sized people. But, of course, Larry Nance and Robert Covington are going to have trouble against LeBron because he's a generational talent that can steamroll anybody. But I think against most players, I think they'll give a good effort defensively. I mean, I I think a huge reason why we were so bad defensively was Ennis Cantor was behind them. He was such a liability defensively that Robert could do everything he could possibly do, and it was still going to be a high value offensive possession for the opposing team because you didn't have a good rotating center. So if Nurkic is there to clean up any mess, I, I think that Larry Nance will be really good in this, this defensive scheme, even though I don't know what it is, but he, he is a high leverage defender for sure.
0: Prior to this trade,
1: where did you have the Blazers out West? And after the trade, where do you have them? I think they'll make the playoffs and then lose in the first round in both scenarios. I think we're a good regular season team. It's just we have some really big deficiencies. The lack of height is real. We're going to win games because of it, and then we're going to lose games because of it. So I think first-round exit, either way. But I think we have a better chance now than we did earlier.
0: Yeah, I would say prior to acquiring Nance, I had Portland 8-9 in for sure. Now I, I think they peak at 6 Probably closer to seven or eight, so it boosts them up half to maybe one spot in in the standings. But yeah, I I definitely am envisioning another first round exit because, again, the problems Portland has had still really haven't been uh, addressed. When you look at, you know, where are we going to get our rebounding from? Like we really haven't been an elite rebounding team since you know we had Ed, Ed Davis. You know, Ennis did everything he could, but but Nurkic he's a bad rebounder for for his size and Do we have
1: any good rebounder for their size
0: no we, we like we we lack rebounding and you know we we discussed ad nauseum the mellow and canter pairing last season really hurt the trailblazers defensively but to also acknowledge the fact that carmelo anthony has the ability to get hot more so than any bench player that Portland currently has. Mm-hmm. Carmelo won Portland a few games last year just by getting insanely hot. You also had Ennis Cantor set the franchise record in rebounding and his offensive rebounding won Portland a lot of regular season games as well. I don't know if they've replaced that. It's, to me, it's probably a bit of, of a net neutral where you get better defensively with you know Nance and Zeller, but I don't know if they're going to be the rebounders or scorers that cancer and Carmelo Anthony were. So it's, it's a little bit of of a net neutral for me. And then we're still looking for that backup point guard. Like poor Anthony Simons is being forced into this spot that he's not going to flourish at. And the Blazers just really need a distributor. That's going to go out there, run some offense, get shooters, open looks rather than, okay, CJ, you have to go get your open look by yourself. You're running it. And we know you're probably just catching and shooting as soon as you get the ball. Like, I think that really harmed Portland last year, not getting into offensive sets and taking a lot of quick opportunities. So, but there's a reason they do play the games and the season isn't played out on paper. But right now, barring a major trade, I don't know if Portland really has done enough to please Damian Lillard. And I think that's going to be that little cloud that follows that franchise over the course of the season. Damian Lillard is the new Anthony Davis. He's the new Carmelo Anthony. The new Dwight Howard. Like the the NBA media is going. You know, they they sense there's blood in the water, and they they are sharks, and, and they are going to circle around that story and continue to bite and chomp down until something takes place. You know, Blazer fans have probably been. Riding a roller coaster this offseason with every Damian Lillard interview, Instagram Live, whatever comments he's been making, Instagram posts, trying to decipher these captions, let it go. There, there, there's, there's nothing fan, the fan base as a collective can do. Just watch it play out. And I think this is really, I thought it was last year. Last year, I thought was the season that put a lot of pressure on the organization to determine whether they were going to finally make a decision. Through hell or high water, Neil O'Shea said, no, we are going to still go right on the fence and ride both the rebuild and the all-in mindset. And I think it's going to come to a hedge sooner or later. And that hedge is probably going to be Damian Lillard deciding to say, I'm in it for the long haul, or I want to trade. Either, either option for Dame is fine by me. But I think until the
1: organization gets a definitive answer from Damien. Neil Walshay and his optimism is his best quality and also his worst quality. Would you agree with that? Yes. He has a rational confidence. He is the
0: hooper where he's going to pull up from any spot on the court. And sure, he can get hot,
1: but he can also shoot you out of games. So it's a gift and a curse. You know where I think he is best as a person in basketball? An assistant coach that optimism it would be so valuable for an assistant coach to have, not the general manager because you have to be you have to be humble and you have to think about things instead of how good you are and how good that player is. I feel like the humility of the general manager position has not been there in the 10 years that he has been uh, in that position. I think where it, it would be best is as an assistant coach where you can use your optimism, to work with that player in person instead of you sitting at your big desk making these, these irrational emotional decisions because you think that you are right. I just thought of that. But irrational confidence in Larry Nance, Robert Covington. Anthony Simons, CJ McCollum. Oh, my God, Anthony. I think Anthony should just punch him in the nuts for two years ago of hyping him that much. Like, But couldn't you imagine Neil O'Shea, the assistant coach, saying – Anthony Simons is the best guard that I've worked with outside of Dame. Like that assistant coach shit should be his end goal instead of general managing and being so snooty and snotty to people in local journalism and the fan base at, as at, at the whole. Like, goddamn, be an assistant coach, Neil. Not in Portland, preferably, but the, the ego is a motherfucker. I think Larry Nance is going to be a fan favorite in, in February when we're doing the show. I think people are going to be really happy about Larry Nance in his position with the team. And then that declining salary is sexy. While I would agree. Didn't we say the same thing about Derek Jones Jr. There was a few times where people were really happy about Derek Jones Jr. But I also think that Larry Nance Jr. is levels better than Derek Jones Jr. Their per thirty six
0: numbers are pretty similar. Nerd, I, nerd. I,
1: nerd. I, I'm
0: just, I'm just saying. And isn't one of Larry Nance's strong suits his ability to catch a lob and finish it?
1: Yeah, but he also so like, who's throwing him that ball? Cody Zell. I don't know. The use of Nurkic is probably. That's what I'm the best. saying like, let's get like, players, Larry Nance is going to throw the lob himself and dunk it. Under the legs, I mean, fucking East Bay funk dunk. On I mean, them.
0: how many times was Derek Jones just begging for a lob backdoor, I and mean, we I, got like three all season, and we collectively, you know, lost our shit when it happened because the Blazers finally threw a lob
1: pass. They haven't done that
0: since Andre Andre fucking Miller.
1: Is that though? Is that is that Terry Stotts limiting? limiting that or is it a, a, a player off op- a player that part? is that is Damian Lillard who I love
0: being one of the worst lob passers in NBA Blazer history like love the dude one of the best Blazers of all time lethal score I would say an incredible pick and roll player just has never been able to figure out how to throw a lob
1: I have, I have more faith than Dame to throw a lob and I think that it was Stotts's inability to craft an offense that would uh, give players that have the bounce that Larry Nance and DJJ and Anthony Simons that ability to use it.
0: We did throw That's lobs it. when Mason Plumley was in town. We did or didn't? We did at the at the top
1: of the key. He would run a lot of offense. So Yusuf, I think, could throw some lobs too on the on half court. I'm very curious to see where the usage of the Blazers goes because as of right this second, we have a healthy team. I want to see what these new players are going to do in their roles and how CJ and Nurkic are going to handle themselves as that secondary offense for, for the team. I'm very curious to see what our offense looks like. I mean, I can make good guesses that it's going to be like a four-out scheme because everybody runs a four-out scheme. But, you know, I really want to see it on the court. To see, like, why Chauncey Billups was such a good hire, I need to see what the schemes look like on the court. And I don't think we see that until game one of the regular season. I
0: think Portland's season and five-year future will be determined within the first 40 games of the season. The first 25 games are at home. If Portland can't protect that home court and be in the upper echelon of the Western Conference in the regular season, I think there's going to be a lot of panic, a lot of panic because you already have Damian Lillard one foot in one foot out. You have the expiring contracts of starters, Robert Covington and Yusuf Nurkic. I mean, basically everybody is Robert has
1: all the leverage in the world, right? You traded
0: first round picks for me. You oh yeah. I mean there. Robert's gonna get, get signed regardless. But if if Portland doesn't come out of the gates hot, then I think Dame's probably gonna ask out. I think he's gonna say I gave it a shot similar to what James Harden did at the beginning of the season.
1: Yeah.
0: And if he asks out, then, then the Blazers then have to move on. You have to get value for Nurkic and Covington. The worst possible Outcome would be what happened in 2015 when Lamarcus just dipped and we got nothing in return. Portland cannot recover for maybe a decade if they just let Covington and Nurkic and all of their other players go without any compensation.
1: You know, that would be the worst, that would be the worst possible thing. Like it. If Dame decides to leave, it's Anthony Simons playing the point guard and Norman Powell being the two. Like, it's that's what it is. It's
0: tough. Uh, it's Neil O'Shea is playing a game of chicken with himself right now. And
1: Do you think Neil O'Shea is the person who trades Damian Lillard. I don't think he's the person who trades him. Yes, I think they. they I think they fire him. And the first duty of the new general manager is to trade him. That's what Neil New I
0: mean, did. I mean, I think it's all depending on when or if Damian yeah. Lillard requests out. If he if he does it in season, it will be Neil O'Shea. If he makes it clear at the end of the off season, maybe during exit interviews, then it could be somebody else. But then again, who knows? With, with Portland has a lacking of, uh, of leadership up top, with Jody Allen being, you know, an interim type of governor, where she kind of was inherited a team. So, it's basically Neil's show, and, and until until further notice. So I, that's why I think it will be be Olshey, and that's why I think it 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 won't happen unless Damian explicitly says, "Please trade me."
1: We're playing it as is until until we, we're not. You know what I'm saying? Like this this is what this team is, and this is what the team will be. I think I sort of mentioned it, but do you think that the Larry Nance acquisition really kills Nasir's usage? Yeah. Only be, he'll be restricted to three? Because you wouldn't put... Larry Nance would be the four in anything, so he'll, he's going to be that backup three and two, because I don't, I don't think you trade a first-round pick for Larry Nance and not play him. Good minutes. So I think it's a humongous speed bump for Nasir Little, who... I'm starting to think if he hits, it's not going to be on the Blazers. It's probably going it to be on ad- Denver when we trade some. We trade Nasir to Denver because it seems to be something we like to do. I think Nasir could be
0: a Jermaine O'Neal type of player. I think he he needs an opportunity, a consistent opportunity.
1: You're not getting get uh, it there. He just played not
0: Yep. Whether the playing time wasn't there or he had his own uh, health setbacks, it just it hasn't worked out and I, I'm tending to agree. I think unfortunately Nasir will hit, but but it, it won't be in
1: in a Trailblazer jersey, which is uh, a bummer. i I hate to ambush you here, but name one person, name one role player that hit on their original team. That Mikhail is Mikel Bridges. All right. You picked a good one. But I think it's a very it, you're you're talking about the exception not the rule there. But yes, he 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 is a great role player that is still on his team. Uh, I think Robert, it, Robert Williams, Time Lord. He's only had 6 months of good good ball. I don't know if you can put him there yet. Late first round pick? I'll, I'll take I'll take Time Lord. Okay. But I think it's a very huge rarity that someone drafted that's destined to be a role player hits on their current team. Like You could have said Steven Adams, and like I think those three are probably the uh, exceptions. That's what made the early 90s Blazers so
0: special, and that's why they were so talented, is they built through the draft. And when they needed a missing piece, that's when they went out and made a trade. Same thing with the 77 Blazers. They had all the pieces that they drafted. They just needed Maurice Lucas. They traded Jeff Petrie for him. The Blazers needed Buck Williams traded Sam Bowie in a first-round pick, that they weren't consistently trading their, their drafts away. and a
1: slippery slope doing what we're doing.
0: Exactly. And it's not like you're acquiring an all-star or you already have two superstars in the fold where you know what you're going to get on a, a game-to-game basis. You're essentially trying to 2004 pistons this thing together. And I don't think Portland has near the
1: elite talent that that piston squad I think had that, that we do that's why he's doing these short sight potentially short-sighted trades i do like larry answer so I, potentially short-sighted trades like he he's treating these first round picks like king of the fourth quarter on youtube when he has a good core surrounding him we don't have that core. we have one we don't have two and three we don't have this the, the sidekicks really so we he's doing the let's trade this first round pick for Larry Nance. Let's play it. But we don't have the, we don't have the foundation of the team settled. It's Damian Lillard and CJ McCullum and Yusuf of Nurkic. It, that's not the best big three I can think of. Neil thinks that CJ and Nurk are better than like ceiling Nurk and ceiling CJ is the normal Nurk, and normal CJ. It's It's a very weird thought process to think these guys who have had injury issues and, you know, Aggression issues is going to be the the thing that brings us over the edge. But if if we were the Brooklyn Nets, I absolutely agree. Get Larry Nance here. Get Robert Covington. We just don't have it. I mean, I was
0: thinking to myself the other day when I was walking to pick up Olga. It's like CJ McCollum's getting paid $30 million a year is he a top 10 shooting guard? And in my mind, I went through and I was like, he's barely like nine or 10 but right shooting
1: guard is such a bad position group too.
0: And he doesn't compliment Damian Lillard and Damian doesn't compliment him. They're very similar.
1: Like Nilla said, like three years ago, they're really similar in terms of how they are best utilized. They, And I think Portland...
0: Is still holding on to that memory of that 2019 playoff run where we get caught up in the fact that Portland gets caught up in the fact that they had an incredible first round against OKC, uh, memorable seven game finish against the Nuggets. We kind of lose sight and we got swept out by the Golden State Warriors, Sands, Kevin Durant. Like that that should have been a red flag for for all of us that yeah we got there great but we're we're still ways away from summiting that that mountain and instead we kind of got high off of those those two playoff wins because they they just don't happen that often in portland
1: this is reminding me of my lactose intolerance like when I have ice cream and I don't get sick, I remember that, but all the other times that I do have ice cream and get sick, you know, like when I'm thinking I want Dairy Queen, I'm thinking of the good times, not the 90% of the time where my lactose intolerance really hits and it hits different. You know, human beings kind of have that that thought process of the they're the best of what this is and not the worst or not the middle. That creamy middle so it's a it's a difficult place to be in trying to make you know advanced basketball decisions when you're a human being and not looking at when when you use emotions and you're a human.
0: Do you think Neil Olshey trades CJ McCollum before ultimately having to trade Damian Lillard, or is he going or is he going to down or is he going to go down with that ship?
1: I think he goes down with the ship, bro. There's nothing in his personality. So you think
0: Dame Dame will request a trade then before he trades CJ?
1: I mean, I'm making a lot of educated guesses on who Neil O'Shea is as a person, but he's not – it will be a humongous sale, a fire sale. It won't be a slow rebuild. It's going to be – fat. it's going to be Damon C.J. one day and then neither the next.
0: Because right now, Portland, throwing in Norman Powell, they have three guards, 6'4 and under, accounting for 76% of the salary cap. Good move in the vacuum. When you look at it from a little bit distant level, I don't love it as much. I think only time will tell how the move plays out in Portland's favor or in not, in not like that. Nobody knows. So to give a grade right now, I think would be premature. Like I said, I think the first 40 games determines everything for the foreseeable future for the trailblazers. And for Dame's sake, I hope he's able to compete, come come to peace with a decision. Whether he wants to stay or wants to leave, there will be no ill will harbored, and nor should there be. He deserves a chance to compete, whether that's in Portland or or somewhere else. So I would I don't think Portland is going to be able to really make a direction until Damien comes comes to terms with where he wants to be and I know he kind of put the ball in Olshea's court and Olshea really hasn't delivered on what Lillard wants so now I think the ball's in Dame's court what what does he want to do because I think what he wants to do like you mentioned will determine whether Portland goes all in or whether they have that fire sale and we'll probably know where he's feeling 40 games into the season because Dame wants to win in Portland, but I think he needs to see results before committing the rest of his prime and career to playing first round basketball.
1: iTunes, Google play, Stitcher, Himalaya. We will be back two months unless anything else happens for the Blazers. I think that this is the last move for a while until preseason, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. And You may be, this is Bill Shinley. Good night, everybody. Let's go!